Are you ready to talk about the motion picture shows? I don't know. I'd probably have to say yeah on that one, question mark. Three hours for a movie? Welcome to Football's Day. I needed this thing to end quick, fast, and in a hurry. Is it though? Is it a good movie? Yes. I think so. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender. With me as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. I'm Memphis Cameron Poe Reigns. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> All the characters does, in one. <laughs> does your mama live in a trailer? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. And on that note, my goodness, let's just get the ball rolling here. We are doing Con Air, which came out in 1997. This is actually the day this podcast goes up, which should be on a Monday, uh, the 6th of June. It'll be 25 years old, which is insane to think about. (laughs) Freaking blew me away. I was like, hey, let's do Con Air. And you're like, all right. I'm like, holy shit, this movie came out 25 years ago. To the day, my goodness. That's exciting stuff. That's that's a certified classic at that point. Anything over twenty five years, like for cars, you got to get them certified. And they're they're <laughs> just, classics at that point. Just because it's old, it's a classic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm waiting for that Criterion collection of Conair. That cover Ooh. would be badass. Keep waiting. Just be Nick Cage winking the whole time. <laughs> oh yeah, this is a, a gif, right? It's just <laughs> exactly. his hair blowing. <laughs> <laughs> when he steps off the plane, and he smiles with the with the fresh air. Those yep. are the only two gifs I see on um, on like anywhere, pretty much Twitter. When you type in Conair, that's those. Are the only two that pop up <laughs> yep 100 that's funny it's pretty great uh the film was directed by simon west who you might know from rick astley's never gonna give you up music video as well as laura croft tomb raider and the expendables 2 they uh they can't all be bangers mr west <laughs> <laughs> i liked expendables 2 i thought that was fun it has jean-claude van damme in that one it does he plays villain <laughs> or <laughs> yeah. Villain. i think he got... his name is Villain. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I like that one. And Dolph Lundgren's pretty badass in that one, too. Yeah. So Gunner, I think uh, I think is his name. Yeah. Chuck Norris is in that one as well. Sure. It's I a good Chuck, one. I think Chuck Norris is a uh, Trump supporter. Is he? I think so. I don't know. That could I be. Know. I don't like him. Now. That could be defamation. <laughs> I could be lying. I could be in court with Johnny Depp by tomorrow if, if I keep that up. So I better not talk about it. He won. I saw that. Kind of. Sort of. Still yeah. owes <laughs> some money, Lebowski. Yeah. <laughs> It's weird. It's like a $50 million lawsuit and then a $100 million counter lawsuit. She pays two, or she pays 10, he pays two, and eight miles. Yeah, <laughs> eight kind, miles. kind of weird. <laughs> Metaphysical. <laughs> Snap back uh, on you. <laughs> I don't know where the rest of the money comes from. Uh, but what can you do? That was a, that was sort of a guilty pleasure of mine. Like Each night I would go to bed and just kind of read some of the highlights and watch videos. It was, <laughs> it's such a circus. It's ridiculous. It really is. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're also here to talk about this amazing film that was written by Scott Rosenberg, who also did Gone in 60 Seconds, High Fidelity, and Venom, your favorite. Oh, boy. That's a that's a trifecta of kick-assery right there. Although, you know, they use a lot of the same people, right? Because you figure um, Gone in 60 Seconds had Nicolas Cage, and, which is also, who's also in Con Air, and then High Fidelity has John Cusack. Which also has, uh, he's also in Con Air. How about and, that? And Venom has CGI, which is also in Con Air. So. Yeah. <laughs> Some really amazing CGI. Like exactly. the fire effects. Oh, my goodness. Like the it propeller like... cutting right through the plane. <laughs> yeah. So dumb. Propellers go on the outside of planes, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Doing it wrong. Anyway, the cast includes Nicolas Cage, Colm, I guess a meanie. Is that how you say it? He's from Star Trek. Why not? Yeah. We'll call him Meanie. He's, a mean, he's mean in this movie. <laughs> we'll call him Meanie. <laughs> uh, McKelty Williamson, uh, Nick Chinland, Rinaldi Santiago, John Malkovich. John Malkovich. <laughs> <laughs> that's clever. <laughs> <laughs> Ving Rames. No, that's clever. I forgot about that. Dave Chappelle, uh, Rachel Ticketon, Steve Buscemi, Danny Trejo, MC Ganey, John Cusack, and Monica Potter. Potter. For, for all you uh, <laughs> Harry Potter fans out there. Anyway, critical reception. Think was... you're being funny, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
nine three colors. Thank you for funny to you. Love it. Uh, the film was a whopping fifty five percent on the old tomato meter. There, however, it is worth noting the audience score is seventy five percent. That's a that's a bit of a difference. It's pretty good. Yeah. They are, they are not on the same page. Probably not even reading the same book or even on the same flight since it's a plane movie and all. <laughs> but uh, Carol Buckland from CNN.com says it's exhausting rather than exhilarating. Wow. No fun police over there. I think I'm going to write a nice letter to Carol Buckland and let her know that I'm on her side. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we also have who do we got here? Uh, Wayne Broadway from Black Girl Nerds says Con Air exists as a divisive film because it puts as much attention into being cheesy as it does to being sincere without ever letting on which tone it actually aims to achieve. That's a really astute observation, actually. <laughs> hmm. uh, Kevin Carr from Seven Millimeter Pictures or Seven M rather says, uh, the quintessential high-octane action flick. I like high-octane action flicks. Usually. Uh, Mike Massey, from Gone with the Twins, says, gratuitous violence, glorious explosions, and mind-boggling action sequences abound in this maniacal thrill ride. I like that, Mike, Ma- Mike Massey. We agree on a lot. Yeah. I could see that. The budget was $75 million. It grossed a hundred and one million here in the United States and Canada. Opening weekend, which was June 6, nineteen ninety seven, it got a measly twenty four point one million dollars. And let's see here, worldwide, you're looking at a much bigger number, two hundred and twenty four million buckaroos. So pretty successful. Yeah, sequels, sequels in the works. Yeah. <laughs> Con airs. <laughs> Con's air. Flights delay. <laughs> Con air too. Con error. <laughs> oh boy. That'd be awesome, Mr. Falcon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so apparently Dave Chappelle, one of the best comedians of all time, he improvised many of his lines in this movie, and that makes a lot of sense. But he was pretty he was pretty funny in it. Uh, John Malkovich was unhappy during production because the script was being rewritten virtually every day and he had no idea how his character was going to turn out. I really enjoyed John Malkovich as a villain. I thought he was very sophisticated and a different type of, of villain. I enjoyed him a lot. The film is dedicated to Phil Swartz, an effects specialist who died during filming when a rigged plane fell and crushed him. This is actually the second Jerry Bruckheimer production where there was a plane related death on set. Actually, 11 years earlier, Art Scholl, a pilot cameraman, died during filming of Top Gun when his camera plane failed to recover from a spin and plunged into the Pacific Ocean. And that is sad. That's terrible. That's really terrible. John Cusack considers Con Air as a bad movie and hated the time he spent working on it so much, (laughs) so much so that he barely remembers it. It's all the drugs. See, (laughs) Cusack only did it one because of the money and two to use as leverage in order to make his own indie passion projects. Eat a dick, dude. Like it wasn't that bad. That's so interesting that some of these celebrities are, are just so angry with it. Right. I'm not really a fan of when the talent you know, craps on a movie that they did exactly. uh, solely because a lot of sacrifices were made to make those movies. You know, the crew stayed late on days, right? They probably missed, um, you know, events with their kids and things like that. And they worked really hard to, to, to do it. And then the actors just like, oh, no, it was bad. I think they can, they can have those feelings, but I don't think it's a good idea to share them. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it was a successful movie. So Cusack was wrong. And someone and dies. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. I- uh, Nicholas Cage traveled to Alabama to work on his accent. Ooh. I know <laughs> might have needed. He might have needed to stay there a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, Ooh, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty bad, Casey. <laughs> With his little skullet. I, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> this this face off and the rock are or wait. This movie face off and the rock are considered by many Nicholas Cage fans to be his holy trinity of action films. And I don't know if I would put face off in there i would put gone in 60 seconds instead of that but maybe that's just me I, you know i agree with you on that and and because i saw this piece of trivia i went ahead and pulled up the the old tomato meter there on some of these movies and they're actually in this order from from worst to best con air was at 55 <laughs> percent 
The Rock was a measly 68%. Wow. And Face Off was a 92%. Get from the out of town. That movie sucks. <laughs> that movie's really bad. I, yeah, I could eat a peach all day. Like, that movie is terrible. Hours. Is that what yeah. he says? Um, I'm Caster fucking Troy. I that movie is terrible. I own it, but it's but out of all those movies, I would watch The Rock and Con Air on repeat as opposed so, to Face Off. Gone in I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry. Gone in sixty seconds is a twenty five percent. Wow! <laughs> and we just did that the other day on this. Well, not the other day, but recently this this calendar year. This is what I'm talking about with Nicolas Cage fans, man. I, I I don't understand it because some of his highest rated films are these weird, wonky, you know, Color Out of Space and Willy's Wonderland and Pig. And people are really just pushing for Nicolas Cage to be the greatest thing ever. But I'm like, you have really good movies right here, like no hyperbole. They're actually really good. Why do you want to keep pushing for obscurity and, and trying to make, you know, polish a turd? Basically, it's it blows me away. I, I, I don't get it. Um. You know, everybody's entitled to their own opinions, but it's it's very odd to me when you have such an amazing action film like The Rock getting a 68%. <laughs> that's a D. <laughs> that's a D plus. That sucks. Yeah. It's crazy yes. stuff. 68 is... That's, a, <laughs> that's, that's not a grade they like to give out, I'll tell you. <laughs> no. 69. <laughs> but, I, but I did find that intriguing. I, I'm... That's what... That's At the end of the day, that's one of the cool things about movies, I suppose, is that it is so subjective. Uh... And, you know, we can talk about these movies all day long. And it's a movie like Gone in 60 Seconds is one that we enjoy, yet critics absolutely can't stand. And we're in the same crowd as the audience score for Gone in 60 Seconds. That's a 77 versus the 25. Right. So. Absolutely. And finally, finally, Cole Meany's keychain has a Star Trek communicator ornament on it. He played Chief Miles O'Brien on Star Trek The Next Generation and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I thought that was a fun little Easter egg. Well, that is fun. I recognize him. He also was the pilot in Die Hard 2. He was on the British Airlines, and they crashed, and they, they don't make it. <laughs> and it's sad. And it's sad. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, this is available on Prime, Amazon Prime Video in the U.S. Uh, it was available. I feel like this movie just floats around the streaming services. People just kind of pass it off to each other once you're done with it. And it, uh, it's it's always available, but that's because it's, it's it's a gem. So if you have not seen Con Air for some crazy reason, I'm going to read a uh, synopsis that will take about three minutes. You can skip ahead. It's a long synopsis. By the way. <laughs> OK, well, let me drink my water and or at least take a deep breath. Here we go. Honorably discharged Army Ranger Sergeant and combat veteran Cameron Poe returns home to his pregnant wife, Trisha. However, he is given a 10-year prison sentence for accidentally killing one of three intoxicated men who attempted to assault Trisha. Eight years later, Poe is paroled and boards a flight to Alabama on a Fairchild C-123 provider known as Jailbird, a converted J-Pat's prison transport plane for all you plane experts out there <laughs> i was like you could just an airplane instead of the actual there's a plane. lot of them. after top gun maverick everybody's a fucking pilot oh my man. gosh is that a um do those <laughs> are those auto erotic robots <laughs> are those auto erotic no 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 animatronics here <laughs> accompanying him in in his or accompanying him is his diabetic cellmate mike baby o odell or as you know him bubba most of the inmates boarding the flight are being transferred to a supermax prison. Mass murderer William Billy Bedlam Bedford, serial rapist John Johnny 23, Baca, black gorilla member Nathan Diamond Dog Jones, and professional criminal Cyrus the Virus Grissom. Also, Justin, Justin Incredible Cavender is on the flight. Yeah. So. <laughs> the flight is overseen. I'm by the in-flight entertainment. You are. Uh, the flight is overseen by U.S. Marshal Vince Larkin, who is approached by DEA, DEA agents Duncan Malloy and Willie Sims. The latter plans to go undercover to get information from drug kingpin Francisco Sandino, who is being picked up en route. After taking off, inmate Joe Pinball Parker sets another prisoner on fire using smuggled kerosene as a distraction, allowing Grissom and Diamond Dog to take over the plane. The plane, they plan to land at Carson Airport as scheduled, pick up and transfer other prisoners, and then fly to a non-extradition country. Sims tries to retake control, but Grissom kills him and takes his gun. Poe and Grissom also foil Johnny 23's rape attempt on the plane's female guard, Sally Bishop. The plane arrives at Carson City, and the inmate exchange commences. The ground crew, unaware that hijackers are disguised as guards, and the real guards forcibly disguised as inmates, gag to pre prevent from revealing the scheme. Uh, amongst the new passengers are Sandino, pilot Earl Swamp Thing Williams, and serial killer Garland Green. 
The authorities discover the hijacking upon finding evidence in Grissom's old cell and a tape recorder planted by Poe on one of the disgruntled guards or disguised guards, but are unable to stop the plane from taking off. (laughs) Everyone is gruntled. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, Pinball disposes of the plane's transponder, but dies trying to reboard during takeoff. The inmates plan to land at Lerner Field and abandon deserter or uh, an abandoned desert airstrip and transfer onto another plane owned by Sandino and his cartel. Poe finds pinball's corpse trapped in the landing gear, writing a message to Larkin on the body before throwing it out. Larkin learns of the news and heads to Lerner after contacting the national guard Bedford raiding the cargo discovers Poe's identity when reading his parole letter and finding the toy bunny Poe intends to give his daughter, forcing Poe to kill him, put the bunny back in the box. The jailbird grounded at Lerner with no sign of the transfer aircraft. Poe warns others of Sandino's past acts of deceit and betrayal, and thus Grissom orders the others to fuel up the plane and get it ready for takeoff. Poe leaves to find Babio, a syringe to give him insulin, uh, meeting Larkin and informing him of the situation. They discover Sandino planning to escape on a hidden private jet, which Larkin sabotages. Grissom executes Sandino by igniting the plane's fuel. Meanwhile, Green encounters a little girl, but resists the urge to kill her. Ugh. As the other inmates prepare yeah, the plane, the camera's like all wonky. Like I know. He's looking at her, yeah, that's, that's edgy, bro. As the other inmates prepare to pl- uh, prepare the plane, Johnny Twenty Three spots a National Guard convoy approaching and gives the alarm. The inmates find a cache of fully loaded uh, shotguns and rifles in the cargo hold and prepare an ambush. As the National Guard arrives, the inmates launch an assault, resulting in a number of casualties. But Larkin defends the surviving troops using a bulldozer as a makeshift shield while surviving. The inmates flee back onto the jailbird and take flight. Poe's identity is revealed when Bedford's body is found. Grissom is about to execute him and Baby O when Larkin and Malloy arrive in attack helicopters, damaging the jailbird's fuel tank. Oh, that's it. (laughs) Though Larkin orders the plane to land at the McCarran International Airport, Swamp Thing is forced to land it on the Las Vegas Strip, causing mass destruction and killing Johnny-23. Grissom, Diamond, Dog, and Swamp Thing escape on a fire truck pursued by Poe and Larkin on police motorcycles. The chase leads to the deaths of all three escapees. Poe and Larkin form a friendship before the former meets his daughter for the first time and gives her the bunny. As the surviving inmates are apprehended, the only one unaccounted is Garland Green, who gambles in a casino. Woof, that was long. It is long. It's a long movie. It's like two hours. It's two hours of pure awesomeness, though. And it could have been three hours for all for my money. I don't know about all that. <laughs> so <laughs> when did you first see Connor? Came out when I was 10. So it's probably around 11 or 12. It was one of those, you know, DVDs that we had in the uh, it was one of the first ones along the lines of the Gone in 60 Seconds and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think Twister, this. Yeah, Gone in 60 Seconds. Uh, There were a few Austin Powers that were like, you know, the first DVDs that we owned. And I just remember seeing this movie and and absolutely loving it. I've seen it so many times since. Um, This is probably like you you really liked Gone in 60 Seconds. And this is probably my Gone in 60 Seconds, I would say. Mm -hmm. I think so. Out of all those movies that were named like in this era of Nick Cage, I think The Rock is probably my favorite. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, The Rock's pretty good. I would say The Rock, then Gone in 60 Seconds. Welcome to The Rock. That's the name of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's funny. I saw it opening day, and uh, no regrets. I remember laughing a lot, but not because it was funny, but because it was absurd. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, what? That's ridiculous. But I was a sucker for the intro of all of the inmates. I liked how they had fun with it. I liked it when the guy had all those, ch- like the... The, the prison guard had like 50 billion shackles on his back and yeah. the, the rock music's playing and and they're introducing everybody and what they did. Uh, you could tell that they had a lot of fun with it. Very much a Bruckheimer film with like slow uh, action parts or focusing on where he's ca- carrying all the chains, right? Very much like an Armageddon or this or Bad Boys or something like that. It feels like a Bruckheimer film and and. I mean, it's something about these 90s action movies that are all kind of carbon copies of each other of each other. So, yeah, I, I agree. There's there's a lot to it. I think this movie's paced very well. Honestly, I think that it does a really good job of introducing everybody, making you scared of them, too. Um, I do think it's kind of cheesy when they're like, who's that guy? Oh, that's Cameron Poe. He's he's a nobody or whatever. And I'm like, well, obviously he's somebody because <laughs> we, we just call it out to the audience. So, yeah. 
right. So it wasn't that long ago we did Gone in 60 Seconds, and you told me Con Air was Pete Cage for you. Why is that? Is it his performance? Is it the action <laughs> sequences? Is it the ensemble cast? Or is it just everything? Well, I mean, it's I, I think it's a combination of, of everything. It's it's such an awesome movie in, in certain senses. Um, the story is unique. It's it's kind of r- ridiculous <laughs> if you think about it. I mean, unique's a good word for it. <laughs> you know, I, I can imagine Bruckheimer pitching this film being like, all right, so Nicolas Cage, I'm like, yeah, yeah, keep going. <laughs> he is from Alabama. Okay, great. <laughs> He's a war hero, even better. And he commits murder. And you're like, whoa, shit. Okay, goes to prison. None of that would happen, by the way. Um, and he is hitching a ride home because he's on parole and boom, the plane gets taken over by inmates. That's so badass. It's so ridiculous, but so badass. And I, I'm here for every minute of it. You, and, and I keep talking about Gone in 60 Seconds, but that's a ridiculous plot, too. I need you to steal 50 cars. Five, zero. <laughs> now, now 49. <laughs> 50, five, zero. Like he needs to take those in, in 20. In, you know, they only have 24 hours, basically. And I'm like, this is a ridiculous plot but it makes so much sense and it's fun, right? The action set pieces are incredible. Well, they have more time, but they leave it up to 24 hours. Right, because they have to they plan don't wanna, everything. They don't want to play shadow games. Yeah. Because then the heat will be on to them. But like it, the song, the heat is on. Heat is on. And then, and then uh, it goes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then uh, you're in the back of a cigarette truck, see? But um, yeah, so the action set pieces are just awesome, in my opinion. The boneyard scene is so good in, in Lerner Field. I don't understand how that bulldozer could shield all those guys. I'm like, yeah, you just kind of shoot over it instead. But I love it. Love the explosions. Love the propane tanks. Loved everything that they had set up. The score is awesome with that cool guitar and the wee 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 wee. You know, it's just very it with, built with, the, with the whammy bar. <laughs> yeah, the whammy bar gun on there. I feel like again, that's in pretty much every one of Nicolas Cage's movies. It's part of his contract. Um, and then just Nick Cage fully embracing the action hero role. I don't think he phoned this performance in. I think obviously his accent isn't good, but he still embraces this role. And he got dude, he got jacked for for this movie. Like he's just he, he looks like an action star. And I, I, I love it. You know, the all right, let's do it sort of sort of thing. But yeah, I absolutely love this movie and I'm not ashamed to say it. It's it's so it's so great. But. Uh, and John Malkovich, John Malkovich is a great villain. John I think he's, Malkovich. yeah, he's, he's fantastic and he's smart and I wouldn't pin him as a villain. He's just typically like a very good actor, right? I mean, uh, uh, Teddy KGB is, is, is a great villain, but he's not killing anybody. Right. So he just, he can do, he can do a lot of different roles and I, I appreciated him in this movie. Have you seen the movie Red by chance? Yeah. Or Red 2? He's really good in that movie. He's funny in that movie. Yeah. I like that. It's like yeah. that quirky, quirky yeah. weirdo. <laughs> yeah. I liked, I liked that movie actually quite a bit. But and then he's John Malkovich and being John Malkovich. So. Yeah. That movie, that's a weird movie. I <laughs> that's a really that weird school. movie. Yeah. yeah. That's strange. Yeah, it's a strange one. Okay. So it's date night. And your date hasn't seen Con Air. And you have 60 seconds. See what I did there? To convince her this is a movie worth her time. Tell me your pitch. All right. Here we go. Do you like action movies with nonsensical plots? What no. about what about muscle-bound <laughs> Nicolas Cage with long hair and a tank top? What about movies that are on repeat on TNT all the damn time? Or maybe, just maybe, do you like sweet accents and songs by Trisha Yearwood? Well, babe, I've got a movie for you. When war hero Cameron Poe returns home to his pregnant wife, his life feels complete. After an altercation of self-defense lands him in prison, though, Cameron must do everything he can to serve his time so that he can reunite with his beloved wife and new daughter, Casey. Years later, on the day of his release, Cameron is supposed to take a routine prison flight with other inmates to his final destination. Well, this ain't no normal flight. Chaos ensues when the inmates mutiny and take over the plane, which has now become some kind of con air. With no hope in sight, Cameron must do the right thing and save the day, take care of the bad guys, land the plane safely, and get to ho- get home to see his family. Can he do it? How can one man possibly take on an airplane full of bad guys? Oh yeah, I forgot to mention, he's an army ranger. Let's do it. Perfect. 
There you go. How was that? Was that was that a good pitch for you? I think good. I think that sums it up pretty much. I'm surprised that the the plot of this movie, the Wikipedia, they were breaking down everything, like every scene, sort of, because you, you really don't need a lot <laughs> in it. It's the plane gets taken. They stop at one place to exchange prisoners. They go to another place. They kill cops and then they fly to Vegas and crash. And that's about it. Yeah, but that's so, the plane, man. That's yeah. The plane. It's um, meet, it's interesting. Meet cars. Meet cars. Yeah, meet cars. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think she's gonna say, "I don't know, Zach." I hear "Welcome to the Dollhouse" is a really good movie. Let's watch yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever, Lesbo. <laughs> <laughs> Drop dead, Lesbo. No, I, I I think it's a good pitch, and I think that it's um, it's a fun, mindless action film to throw on because even if even if you watched it and you're like that really wasn't that good of a, yeah, but you know what? At least you saw it. And it was, it was still fun at times. It, it, it doesn't make any sense, but there weren't really any lulls in the movie. So sure. You're like, babe, it got a 55%. <laughs> not 49, <laughs> not, not 50, <laughs> five, five. <laughs> oh, geez. My goodness. All right. That's fine. So this movie is full of one-liners. What are some of your favorites that you continue to use to this day? And feel free to use Nick Cage's <laughs> Alabama accent. I'll try my best. It's hard, though. Uh, so put the bunny back in the box. That's one I've, I I like quite a bit whenever there's a bunny, especially uh, during Easter when someone has like a chocolate bunny. I'm like, put the bunny back in the box. <laughs> that's funny you say that. I saw a chocolate bunny one time, and it said chocolate flavor. <laughs> oh. I was like... What does that mean? <laughs> is, it, is it not made of chocolate? It's not real chocolate. It's made of air, so it's light. <laughs> I got one time, uh, Lynn, my, my ex-wife, she got me this chocolate man. And it was like this guy on the beach and he was made of chocolate. And he's like got his thumb pointing at him. And he's like, I'm rich. <laughs> so it's on the package. It was like a little speaking bubble. I'm rich. I thought it was so amazing. I never ate it. (laughs) I had to just keep it forever. I don't know what happened to it, but I remember cracking up when I saw it. That's amazing. Chocolate guy. Yeah. Was he chocolate flavor? Was he chocolate? Was he paper like (laughs) materials? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, geez. It's amazing. I'm I'm rich. What else you got? Uh, So on he goes on any other day that might seem strange. (laughs) Oh right, when the cars line. When the cars line. And whenever uh, I don't use this one often, but I always remember this line when he goes, don't treat women like that. When he when he beats up Johnny 23 after Mm -hmm. he's trying to rape uh, Rachel Ticketon. Um, And then I say this one a lot. I'm like, no, that's clever. After uh, John Malkovich shoots uh, Bubba Gump. That was pretty funny. And then the one we quote probably the most is my daddy is coming home on July 14th. (laughs) My birthday is on July 14th. I'm going to see my daddy for the first time ever on July 14th. Yeah, that's, that's a good uh, one. It's pretty good. It for it will forever immortalize July 14th for me now, and that will forever be Con Air Day, or it'll be the day that Memphis Reigns Cameron Poe comes home to steal the <laughs> national speed. treasure. To steal <laughs> Goodspeed. <laughs> Stanley Goodspeed comes home to steal the Declaration of Independence. So That's great. My nephew was born on July 14th, and I can assure you that was the very first thing I said. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. You should yeah, get him uh, Con Air for his birthday and see what yeah. he says. Like, what is this crap? <laughs> I don't think you'll get it. <laughs> no, you wouldn't get it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, those are the lines that I like a lot. There are a lot of a lot of other good lines in this movie, but I I don't quote them that often. Um, I like when he's explaining. He's like, "What's that?" He's like, "That's a rock." <laughs> it's another way. Um, I thought that was clever. Uh, there were a lot of other things too that were said that were really funny. But um, yeah. Works for me. So Garland Green, a.k.a. the Marietta Mangler, played by Steve Buscemi, is a walking nightmare. Both the guards and inmates are afraid of him. I remember the audience members laughing when he said he wore a woman's head as a hat through three states. And they also cheered at the very end when he showed up at the craps table. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Are we supposed to root for this character? Yeah, I don't know. It's really odd. And it's a really interesting choice to have him be free at the end and kind of end on... They're playing Sweet Home Alabama like it's supposed to be some sort of celebratory thing. Uh, I didn't like the little girl part. I don't know if it was implied that he was he was supposed to kill her and change his mind. Um, I think it was more just him being a weirdo. So 
yeah, that was that was odd. I, I don't really I don't really get it. I mean, I understand the idea of Steve Buscemi is, is just excellent and he looks like a a creepy dude. <laughs> he's kind of he's kind of funny looking, right? So <laughs> little guy, kind of funny looking. little guy, kind of funny looking. Are we square? <laughs> I said, are we square? So, oh, shit, don't get me started. <laughs> I just pulled in here, man. <laughs> I'm still going to need the two dollars. <laughs> Oh, See how you like it. Care. Silent treatment. Total <laughs> not a fucking silence. <laughs> not a word. <laughs> oh, that's another one too. I like in it. He's like, he goes, "Well, hooray for the sounds of fucking silence." Right. <laughs> he puts the silencer <laughs> on the gun. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't like it. it. It was weird. I felt odd during the little girl scene. I just felt odd with his character. I'm not really sure, but I think it was probably just a level of intrigue with with uh, what was his name. Mar- Marietta Mangler Gar- yeah, Garland Green. Green yeah he I mean I enjoyed his line about the insanity he's like working 50 hours a week for 50 years to only get told to leave basically he's like define insanity and I'm like that I mean that does make sense he's right but I also don't want to <laughs> take advice from someone who murdered 30 people but and even Cameron Poe kind of says that too I did like that he spotted right away too and Cameron comes back and he's like two went down one came up yeah, I'm pretty, He's pretty probably the smartest headsy. one on the plane. Yeah, he, he really was, which was creepy. I don't know how it's going to happen, but maybe he'll be in the sequel that'll eventually come out. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do remember a sigh of relief when the little girl is running after the plane saying bye, 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 bye. You know, I think we all did. I mean, yeah. you can't. That would be that, that. That would take this movie to a completely different level if they did that, especially since he's holding the little girl's doll. And yeah. we don't know if he took it from her or if she gave it to him until we see her. Yeah, it was an interesting choice. And I would like to talk to Simon West to be like, so what were your thoughts here? Yeah. <laughs> Please explain your work here. But. Yeah. All right. So how do you rate the action sequences and visual effects? Does Con Air still hold up after 25 years? And if you could have a remastered edition, you mentioned the Criterion Collection. <laughs> Which scenes would you spruce up a bit? Oh, dude, I love this movie. It was a hard time for me finding scenes to really to really spruce up. I mean, other than your your shitty CGI, but that's you're talking about a 25 year old movie. Um, so I would clean up some um, of the C- Star Wars is like a billion years old and it still looks amazing. They still had to clean it up, though, because around this time is when George Lucas released uh, the remakes. And that's a myth. <laughs> or the remastered editions and he added like some CGI and Jabba the Hutt and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. And that looks terrible too, by the way, like the, it, all the practical effects look a thousand times better than any yeah, digital effects they added to it. There were some good changes. I think, I think the lightsabers looked better. When, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, but enough about, enough about Star Wars. Let's, let's talk yeah. about the Connor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> giving you a hard time. So I would, I would definitely clean up the CGI if, if you could, cause there are some shots that are just terrible but they still serve the purpose. Otherwise, everything else was was pretty awesome. Uh, the explosions, I think, look pretty good. Some of some of them might have been a little cheesy, but, um, you know, with with crisp editing, there's a lot of cuts in this film. And, and so it jumps around a lot. Sometimes it can be distracting with that. I would probably um, it feels like there are a lot of deleted scenes in this movie because it feels like some of the stuff moves a little too quickly. Like yeah, especially, it gets up. especially the beginning, it feels like it moves so fast and it, it goes from him being with his wife to killing these people to prison to done with prison. I'm like, holy shit. I mean, I get it. And that's all during the credits. Right. Um, so I would probably figure that out. But otherwise, the entire film, in my opinion, is paced very well. And I and I think this would be really fun to watch in 4K because it just looks like a movie that could uh, could totally have that that experience or or be the best it could be in, in on the biggest tv with the most sound and the crispest picture all right i never understood how diamond dog died like there's a car maybe even a motorcycle kind of getting close to him and then he screams and then there's like an explosion <laughs> the motorcycle <laughs> ran into the back of the truck for some reason even though it would have slowed down with him jumping off and it it crashed and it blew him up i think they were probably at the end of the script they're like oh shit we have to kill ving rames um okay uh explosion <laughs> yeah and there's there's another moment like that on in the boneyard too where there's a there's a fella that's like dangling out of the window of of what looks like a, a plane and like the fuselage and then there's like another thing that's like about to ram it and he screams just the way Ving Rhames does at the camera when there's an explosion. And I'm like, what's 
what's killing all these people? <laughs> I, I first, when I first saw this movie, I thought that was Ving Ramis who died in the plane. I'm like, oh, there, there he goes. He died that way. And I'm like, oh no, he didn't die that way. So yeah, I, I what's funny you say that. Cause at one point I was like, maybe they just forgot that they killed him already. <laughs> and then they did it again. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta kill him again. <laughs> He's so good. He, uh, that's how he got his name. Diamond dog. Yeah. It's tough as like, a diamond. Wait a minute. Hasn't he that guy already not made it? Um, yeah. But yeah, I always thought that was weird. It didn't make sense to me. But what can you do? So Guard Bishop, played by Rachel Ticketon, is no stranger to playing strong women on screen. And this is actually her third film we've reviewed on this podcast. The others, of course, being Total Recall and Falling Down. How do you rate her performance against this all-male cast pumping enough testosterone to fuel the jet? Does she hold her own? Yeah, I think she was great. I think she was no nonsense. Um, she wasn't a damsel in distress. She she gave Johnny 23 a, a run for his money, but you know she was cuffed up and he overpowered her. Um, but she still seemed like a good adversary. It, she wasn't like a love interest. And, so, you know, sometimes in these movies, there's always like a thing between the two people, even though he was married, there's always like a thing between the two people. And they didn't need to do that with her. Um, I think she served a purpose. And if anything, she could probably vouch for for O'Day and get him or Baby O, I think is his name. Yeah, Baby O. And that way, maybe he could get a reduced sentence because she could be like, hey, you know, he helped fight these bad guys with me so <laughs> you who have been near death the entire trip <laughs> yeah yeah I so I, I i liked her she was a voice of reason i don't like when authoritarian figures like the the guard or different police officers try to come around swinging dick and just be like this is my plane and and the only way is, is my way or the highway sort of thing and she just kind of was the voice of reason for a lot of stuff so i i think she was a a, a crucial part in in the movie and she did serve that kind of purpose to show what Cyrus's mindset was. Cyrus was, was evil, but he also made a lot of sense. Like when Poe was telling him, you're not going to rape her on this flight. And, and uh, Cyrus was like, yeah, you know, Johnny 23, don't do that. Or he's like, Hey, you fly, you know, cause if your dick comes out of your pants, I'm going to be throwing you out of the airplane sort of thing. So I think that that was an interesting choice that they made, but it kind of just shows that Cyrus is focused on on getting everybody to where they need to get. And he's not just a ruthless. I'm going to kill every single guard on this plane sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That's cool. And then follow up. uh, Can you imagine any other powerful women in the 90s playing this role? That one was a little tougher. I was thinking about it and. I don't know if they had that many tough girl roles in the 90s. Like the Charlize Theron is the one that comes to mind, obviously, in the 2000s. Um, but I didn't think they had that many that were like that. And so I did think of a few, though. But Halle Berry, I, I think we've seen her take on a more action role and a tougher role as she's gotten older. Uh, Uma Thurman, same kind of thing. You know, the bride. And then we could easily see her in, in different aspects. Angelina Jolie took on a tough girl role in various movies. It was also in Tomb Raider, which, which Simon West directed. Right. That um, was like 2001. Though. Yeah. Well, or but she was, she was still doing things like hackers in the nineties. And yeah, but she movies. was like a kid. She, she was, she was young. A high school kid. No. I but could, yeah, I, I could see it. Whatever. I could see, That's I could see her, her do something. I'm more thinking of, of just people who were, were prominent in the nineties and carried on Jodie Foster. Same thing. I love Jodie Foster. We saw what she did in science of the lambs. I think she could easily take on a role like that as well. In fact, I could, I could have seen her in Rachel Ticketon's role. So, um, yeah, those are the only four that I could think of though. What about Sarah Connor? Linda Hamilton. Linda After ha- all the chin-ups, not before the chin-ups. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I'm the Terminator. You're like Sarah Connor, but not before, before she could do all the chin-ups. <laughs> oh, God. Shit just got real. Yeah. I love that movie so much. Um, yeah, you know, I, um, I think Linda Hamilton would be great. She only really did a few movies in the 90s, though, that really kind of stuck out. It was Terminator 2. Terminator 1, she was just so passive. Terminator 2, she was a badass. And then Dante's Peak, she just kind of existed. Oh, yeah, I hate that movie. No, it's your favorite movie stuff. about volcanoes. <laughs> it's your first favorite movie about volcanoes <laughs> with uh, your second being Volcano. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with your Same third being Joe, you, right? Joe versus the Volcano. All right, that would probably be number one, to be honest with you. <laughs> I got a brain cloud. All three are Dante's Peak. <laughs> you have oh, them in all on, on VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. Yeah. Uh, Lilu Dallas, multipass. She could probably do it too. Mila Jovovich, yeah, she was a lot younger, but yes, I could see that too. Because Fifth I, Element was ninety-seven as well. I could see that. I was thinking Selma Hayek too, in a certain sense, just because oh, of yeah. Desperado. But I, I like Selma Hayek a lot. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, it's tough. They didn't have a lot of roles uh, back then, and no. you could argue that it's still a problem today. But 
It is. Um, yeah, she uh, Rich took it to him. It seemed like it was she was the go to for um, for badasses in that era. She was. Yeah. I liked her a lot. Who was she in Falling Down? She is Prendergast's uh, former partner. That's right. Okay. Yeah. There you go. That makes more sense. She's a, she's a, a young old <laughs> Robert Duvall's partner. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> what age is Robert Duvall in that? He's like two hundred in that movie. <laughs> Going on 300 now. Oh, man. I'm the bad guy? (laughs) I love that movie. That's a really good movie. Oh, boy. Falling Down. Check out that. If you haven't listened to that episode, definitely check it out. Love love talking about Falling Down. That was an incredible movie. And then followed up with Con Air on a double watch. (laughs) So good, you got to see it twice. (laughs) Yeah. Well, put in your VHS tape that holds both movies. Make sure you be kind and rewind, though. Get one of the rewinders, though. Yeah. Shaped like a Ferrari or something, so it's kind of what it was. <laughs> it was it was shaped all fast. It was fun. <laughs> oh my goodness! So there's a moment in the film where Garland Green says, "To find irony, a bunch of idiots dancing around on a plane to a song made famous by a band that died in a plane crash." He's of course talking about Leonard Skinner. Uh, can you share with our listeners some of the bands or artists that you enjoy their music, but sadly they are no longer with us due to a sudden or early death? I hate that I have a lot on this list. It really sure. is a bummer and it sucks. And I'm sure I am forgetting some. But the ones I could think of were like Kurt Cobain uh, for Nirvana, essentially ending Nirvana. And he wasn't the most talented singer. He was an incredible songwriter, though. And what they did for music in general was just phenomenal. Taylor Hawkins, more recently, that one really hurt because the Foo Fighters are my favorite band ever. And I, I enjoy everything Taylor Hawkins did. And it just was so sudden. Uh, just completely derailed their their tour, and I I just don't know how how they're going to recover from this. So that one was heartbreaking. Chris Cornell hit me really hard. I was a huge Soundgarden fan. Loved Chris Cornell, everything he did, Audio Slave, all his solo stuff, and that one was was just incredibly sad because he was suffering from mental illness, and it would just yeah, it, it wasn't a good one. David Bowie, same kind of thing. I know he was older, but he still had many years ahead of him. Uh, he just was an ultimate performer, ultimate musician, and and uh, loved everything that he did. Tupac was only in his 20s when he died. Uh, terrible. One of the greatest rappers of all time. And everybody saw that. And it's not just saying it posthumously. How do you say that? Post, post-hum- yeah, I never know how to say it. Po- yeah, yeah, he was 25. Yeah. Um, Notorious B.I.G., same thing. You know, uh, real quick, he died on... Uh, September 13th, 1996, Tupac. Tupac did? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a Friday the 13th. Sweet, and now I'm sadder because he didn't get to see Con Air. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and Notorious B.I.G., same thing. He was also, he's 26 or 27, I believe, when he died. And uh, again, one of the greatest rappers of all time, and not even just saying that. And then on top of that, too, Nipsey Hussle. Um, Nipsey was an activist in in Compton in L.A. He was a fantastic hip hop artist. Just the year before he died, he he crushed it at the Grammys and take those for what they are. But he's always been kind of one of those underground rappers that that started getting big. And and most true hip hop fans know Nipsey. And for him to go out like in his prime was was terrible because he was constantly fighting for activism and and culture and equality. And he worked with police officers in his community to just be an ambassador. And so that one was was incredibly hard to hear because of everything he did for Los Angeles. Um, Avicii. Avicii was a DJ who was one of the better DJs that I've like ever heard. I was I like electronic music quite a bit. And the stuff that he did was, was phenomenal. And he had just released a, a quite a good album and was living off of that for about a year. And then he died very, very sadly. Um, and then Jimi Hendrix, of course, too. Jimi Hendrix sure. was 27, I think, when he died. Uh, one of the greatest guitar players of all time. And it, it's fascinating because all of these players are all of these these musicians were. It's not that they died and then, oh, yeah, you know, we, we're just going to say their music's incredible. They were like at the height of their careers when all this stuff happened. And it's just so freaking sad. But right. Like Club 27, right? Yeah, exactly. That's your Kurt Cobain, your Jim Morrison, your Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Amy Janis Winehouse. Janis Joplin. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I forgot about Amy, too. Yeah. I was at San Diego Comic-Con when, when I found out she died. That's sad. That was sad. Do you have any other ones? Uh, yeah. I mean, all of those are all really, really good. Um, I would say Bon Scott from ACDC. Oh, yes. yeah. Uh, I mean, I was, I was 
not even born yet, but I mean, ACDC music is a part of me. <laughs> so yeah. I'm counting it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Lane Staley from fucking oh, Alice in Chains. I forgot about Lane. Oh, yeah. man. That one was terrible. One of the most unique voices in in music and like talk about, you know, local boys, Seattle bands and stuff. They just they were incredible. Oh, I yeah. forgot about Lane. And his was really sad, too, because he had been dead for several days before anybody found him. I remember I was sitting in the car. I took my my wife to like her class and I was just kind of she went to Cal Poly Pomona and she had a test to take. So I was like, oh, I'll just take you and then. You know, I would take the carpool lane and then I'll just wait in the car. And then when you're done, we'll just go out to dinner and something. And I'm sitting in the car. There's all this news about, you know, um, you know, just I'm listening to K-Rock. And just uh, I think this might even be the same time that uh, I learned that the same day. This is a weird trivia. I can't believe this is coming back to me. But I learned that Beverly Hills Cop was the highest grossing rated R film uh, up until like The Matrix Reloaded kind of thing. That hadn't come out yet, obviously. And uh there was this trivia, what's the highest gross radar movie? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> and I was blown away when it was probably those cop. And then cut to, I find out that, um, yeah, he passed away and I was so sad. Yeah. It was, it was, it was really, really a, a interesting day for me. I wasn't one of the fans. And then of course, um, just recently with, um, Andy Fletcher from, from Depeche Mode passing away, which uh, you actually sent me the text, mm-hmm. uh, that he had died. And, and I was on the middle of the show floor for a Star Wars celebration and really took the wind out of my sails, man. Yeah, I just know how much you like Depeche Mode, and that one was really that one was sad. How old was he? Fifty uh, something, right? He was. I think he was almost sixty. Yeah, he was sixty. Yeah, he was sixty. It's crazy. Like he's he's not old, so it's. And they were still rocking and rolling, man. I mean, they could have kept yeah. going. I mean, they they he's a founding member of Depeche Mode. Yeah, yeah. and um, him, Martin Gore, and and Dave Gahan, and mm-hmm. you know that's like their pretty much their only band for. I mean, they did like solo projects and stuff. Sure, but. I mean, their main focus is always and forever going to be Depeche Mode. But I mean, you know, 42 years in the same band is a, is a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame all the way. But it is so sad when you find out about people passing away. You know, like even like someone like Richie Valens, he was a kid dying in a plane crash. You know, that's that's so sad. Prince, that was another one. Uh, Prince caught me off guard. Prince was really sad, and I'm not even admittedly a huge Prince fan, but I know the impact that he's had, and then you see everything that comes out, and you're like, Jesus, the world lost a talent. Yeah, 100%. I think his, some of his songs have like the most misused lyrics of all time. Like No one knows what he says in his songs. <laughs> so No one says the right lyrics ever. He says Purple Rain, Justin. That's all he says. It's Purple Rain. <laughs> yeah. At so your age, sad. not your shoe size. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You George what, Michael, that was another one. Oh, I yeah, I miss George Michael. He can be my father figure. Did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> I can be your father figure. Yeah, uh, Michael Jackson, for crying out loud. Um, yeah, that one know, was really sad. That's one, that one's tough because, you know, if you want to play the card that, you know, he was a child molester and did bad things, that's totally fine, and I respect your opinion, and you're probably right. However, in like our court of law, you know, innocent until proven guilty, he was found not guilty. So I don't think you're a terrible person for loving his music either. So it's kind of a weird, it's a weird dynamic there, you know, like for the bulk of my life, I was 100% camp Michael Jackson. I loved everything that he did, loved all of his music. It's so exciting. You could play his songs at any wedding or festival or whatever, and people will really start to get into it. And then, you know, there's also you know, that, that looming, you know, doubt that he was a terrible person. And that's really sad. Well, and it's just really tough because obviously you always want to believe the victims and and everything and take their word for it. But he's also not here to give his side of the story or the case. And so it's not like that fucker Kevin Spacey, right? This is, this is a completely different thing. And the impact that Michael Jackson had on music and pop culture, I mean, he's a king of pop. So, so I will never not enjoy Michael Jackson music because I know everything that that he did and, uh, and and how he just redefined the genre. It's um unreal, man. I watch the thriller music video every year. It's I still know the dance form it. It's one of my favorite songs ever. And so it's it's very hard to, to to deny that. And the impact of his death, I remember hearing about that. And that was like earth shattering for some people. Mm-hmm. And on a note for that, too, you know, I love the Internet, but at times social media can be so ugly and awful, as you know. And when when an artist dies like a Bowie or a Prince or a, or a Michael Jackson or a Chris Cornell and people 
get on there and post about how upset and sad they are and how it affected them. You know, fuck those other people who sit there and tell them, well, you know, you didn't know them, so why are you so sad? Because you don't know the impact that this artist had on these people. You don't know if maybe they were going through a tough time and they picked up a Soundgarden album and they listened to Black Hole Sun or they listened to, um, you know, anything else. Um, Yeah, a Michael Jackson album, Man in the Mirror, and it really turned them around, right? And so for people to, to come out here and try to tell people, well, you didn't know them, so you shouldn't be so sad, eat a bag of dicks, dude. Um, I, I'm just, that that always gets me whenever an artist dies and, and, and people are sad. Because, like, I was... For all these artists, I was very sad when when I was when they when I heard they died more so like the Taylor Hawkins, the Chris Cornell, the Bowie, um, the Nipsey and and Avicii. I was really sad when they died just because I their music connected with me. And so luckily no one's ever told me to to not be sad because of that. But I just think it's, it's fascinating that there are folks that out there that do that. Yeah, no, I, I know it's it's sad. Um, did you mention um the Lincoln Park. Film. Oh yeah, I forgot about Chester. Chester, yeah. Yeah, Chester Bennington. That one was really hard on me too because I grew up with Lincoln Park and they were like one of my favorite bands. The you know their first four albums were just knock your socks off, and I I listened to Hybrid Theory and Meteora on like repeat all the damn time, and I can pinpoint a time in my life like where I was driving and the things that I did based off of those albums absolutely loved him uh when he died i listened to those on repeat and it was just it was terrible because you think here's a guy who seemingly has a really good life and he takes his own life you know because he was dealing with so he was so hurt emotionally and there were things going on that he, he maybe tried to get help but no one could really help him and it just it was it's terrible to think right right Scott Weiland. I'm mean, looking at this forever. Scott Weiland was another one. <laughs> Stone Temple Pilots. He, you know, that one was sad, but at the same time, Scott Weiland was, he used a he lot damaged, of drugs. Man. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I was kind of like, huh, I, you know, it is sad, but I was almost like, didn't he already die? <laughs> sort of right. thing. He used a lot of drugs. Um, it's just, you know, all like all the role, like Keith Richards. I can't believe Keith Richards is still alive. And those guys have been playing for like, 40 or 50 years, the Rolling Stones. It's absolutely incredible. Like 60. I think it actually might be 60. I think this is their 60th anniversary. Yeah. And They've been retiring. They've had like farewell tours since I was a kid. I just, I just don't get it. And, you know, I, I, I'm so perplexed by it. But anybody from Motley Crue, I would be like, well, yeah, I mean, Nikki Six did so much heroin and all these drugs. But luckily, he turned it around. He's better. He's clean now. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a long list of people. Mm-hmm. And some a lot of great music. Yeah. It's pretty insane. And uh, apologies if we missed one that you really care about. Totally. But uh, let us know. Hit us up on the Twitter there, who we missed. But uh, yeah, my goodness. So there's a moment. Um, what was I going with this? Oh, you know what? Actually, I take that back. Um, we're gonna we're gonna. We've already mentioned this, but uh, rank your top three Nicolas Cage films. So I'm gonna go Con Air, The Rock, and then National Treasure. Okay, now shot out of a cannon. <laughs> All right, yeah. Of those three movies, you have to erase one forever and all eternity, completely wiped from existence. Uh, two. Uh, of these three films, there's only one that you can ever watch again. <laughs> and three, you got to replace Nicolas Cage with Andy Dick. Oh, boy. So can these all be different movies for each one, two, and three? You have only those three choices of movies, and each one has to be a different answer. Is this kind of like a Mary Fuck Kill sort of thing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so... And, and, and instead of Andy Dick, it was going to be Tommy Wiseau, and then it was going to be... <laughs> but I wasn't sure if anybody would know who he was, and then yeah, it was going to be Danny DeVito, and then I'm like, fuck it, Andy Dick it is. Put the bunny down, you're tearing me apart. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hi, Cyrus. <laughs> so um, terrible. Uh, he is pretty bad. Uh, so... I would say a race for one forever and all eternity. It would probably be national treasure. I really like that movie a lot, but it is kind of an Indiana Jones esque movie. And I mean, I could take it out of this list if I needed to. I really like it though. Um, and then the one that there's only one you can ever watch again. Yep. I mean, that one's easy. That's con air for me. It's, it's such a guilty, <laughs> such a guilty pleasure. I would, I would watch con air over and over. I, I love it so much. And then replace Nick cage with Andy Dick. I guess that'd have to be the rock. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? I'm Stanley Goodspeed. Ah, with all the flying and the magic. So. Yeah. 
That's fantastic. That would be a drastically different film <laughs> with Andy Dick and Sean Connery. Oh, man. Might that pull that be... 68 all the way up to a 90. On the Holy shit. <laughs> Talking Oscar. Oscar went in there. So, yeah, that would be interesting. But you know this person? <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like, get on the freaking horse, buddy. I, th- I think this guy's being serious. <laughs> Email me, K, freakingcage.com. Oh, yeah, freakingcage.com. Oh, my gosh. That's fantastic. All right. Lastly, you're a big-time Hollywood executive, and you have the power to greenlight a prequel to Con Air. Which convict gets the starring role, and what do you name the motion picture show? This is actually a really good question, and I thought about it, and I think there's only one real answer. It has to be Cyrus uh, Grissom. Cyrus the virus, you know, uh, it could show how he got captured originally, maybe his upbringing. And you don't need to make it uh, a joyous film, you know, make it like the Joker where you shouldn't be rooting for him, make it dark. And at the end of it, you're like, Jesus, this guy is crazy. I can see how he's kind of charming and he's smart and stuff, but he's a psychopath sort of thing. And I think he had the most uh, behind him you give a, a quick blurb about like what he does this guy's done it all kidnapping arson homicide yeah you know you name it so it'd be intriguing to see how that kind of builds up a little bit um very much like the the cruella de vil movie but uh l- less less fashion but the, the the name of the movie i have two working titles the first one would be that's clever <laughs> and the second one would be that's clever the cyrus the virus story <laughs> or i would just call it cyrus there is no cure (laughs) search for the cure (laughs) search for the cure so i was thinking something like that would be really neat but there's no other character i think you can do this behind other than cyrus it has to be that's interesting because my first choice was garland green and i thought it could be sort of a hannibal lecter ish kind of movie but uh done in a way kind of like how uh, like the movie Seven or even Saw, and he is doing horrible things up and down the eastern seaboard. Uh, he kills 30 people, supposedly, and it could be done as a as a horror movie, psychological thriller slash horror movie. What if he is in Midwest America and he's working with a Russian space station guy and they are killers for hire and then they <laughs> <laughs> they they do deals for money? <laughs> <laughs> doesn't work like that and they they want a, a fully loaded cadillac deville as well <laughs> yeah uh in the in the wiki fandom it points out that daddy o or big o or baby o whatever i think it's, ba- is, I think it's baby o he is uh dad dad daddy o he says that he goes up and down the eastern seaboard yeah 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 i i, I heard that so that was interesting it would be intriguing to see because when he, when i saw him i'm like how is this guy overpowering people and killing folk i mean unless he's you know stalking people at night and killing them but he's just so tiny and i feel yeah, like he, he could use like chemicals and stuff that's like he true do the chloroform like hey tell me if this smells like chloroform and then yeah or or needles and things you i guess kind of like the riddler or joker they're not really imposing figures but they use their cunning and other disgusting things to um overpower people so i could see him some as something like that right i don't know anytime i see a weirdo i'm always just keeping my distance <laughs> that paul dano <laughs> he's a oh weirdo oh <laughs> <laughs> why don't you just you stay on that side do a marcia brady kind of thing and just put a line a tape in between us and be like this oh. is my side that's your side I, I do this. I, I do the same thing. Like I'm hyper aware of that, but also I have in my unit uh, where I live, I'm Your kind of G like a, unit? A, a ground floor basement unit, and I have my own entrance, so it's always open. And I have an alley entrance, and now that it's getting nicer out, I'll see like random transients or weird people walking up and down the alley, maybe checking the dumpsters. I've had people try to go up to our doors and check them. And I'm just waiting on moments that someone's going to try to come and check my door. And I'm just going to say, like, wrong door, mister, or something like that. I got to think of a fun a fun thing to say when they come in. I'll just be like, today is not your day. Or I don't know. <laughs> Maybe Welcome say, to football day. <laughs> Welcome to my apartment's day. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll just say, that's clever, with, with my baseball bat that I have. So it'll be interesting. But, um, yeah, I, I agree with you that... You know, we were walking that one time in my neighborhood and that freaking weird guy was like <laughs> just everywhere. I was like, what is this guy doing? And I really had my guard up because I'm like, he's like, yeah, how do I get to this place? My guy, you just go that way. And then he's following us. And I'm like, 
I don't like this. <laughs> and like, then he popped out. You're zigging when you should be zagging. <laughs> and then he popped out of the bushes, and we were like, "How did he get over here?" <laughs> yeah, that was very Jason Voorhees of him. I didn't like that at teleport all. Teleport in front of us like that. that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> he has the underground tunnels. See, he's the yeah. he's the 2009 Jason Voorhees. So. Oh man, I don't like it one bit. Mm-mm. All right. Well, fantastic. Final thoughts and letter grade for Con Air. Oh, God. So this is just a subjective thing, obviously, because I love it so much. I did watch the Minty. The Minty top 10 for, for Con Air. <laughs> did he talk about calling it like Flying Idiot or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it's, it's called it's called uh, the, the Wings of Flying Death or something like that, because Con Air in France, Con means idiot or like a dumb person. So it's like dumb air in France. It's called like the Wings of Death. And then um, he he mentioned Jaws, how Jaws is called like the ocean has teeth or something like that. (laughs) And then for Jaws 2, it was the ocean has teeth part two. (laughs) Just in case you wanted the first one, you got to get the second one, right? So, um, yeah, it's called like flying death, which I think are the wings of death. And so I think that's really neat. But uh, I love this movie so goddamn much. And I think it is just like how over the top is your guilty pleasure. Um, I really like over the top a lot, but this movie I could watch over and over again and still just be like, hell yeah, it's a great movie to have on in the background. It's stupid. It's cheesy. But just like that reviewer said, they know what they're doing. They don't they don't really pick one side of taking it too serious and too cheesy. Um, I think it's very heartfelt at the end. And Nicolas Cage does a really good job in it. (laughs) He's a really convincing. He's a really convincing action hero, I think. And and we've talked about this because we've done a lot of Nicolas Cage movies. We've talked about how he was in limbo there for a little bit where you're like, wait, he just got an Academy Award for Best Actor and now he's trying to jump into action, but then he's completely gone because now he's just doing all these B-movies and these weird indie projects. Uh, but I think this is like peak Nicolas Cage action right here. This and The Rock, I think, are like peak I- Nicolas Cage action movies. So um, this, um, is a, this is an A-plus for me, by the way. Oh, this wow. A-freaking-plus. I, I love this movie. So uh, Face Off actually came out three weeks after this one. Are you serious? Same, that same month, close? Yeah. Yeah, so June 6th, 1997 versus June 27th, 1997. Holy shit. And I feel like we've talked about this before because Nick Cage for a, str- a string of time was doing like four movies a year, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a busy, dude. It was it was crazy. He's like pretty much He's... any script you give him, he'd take. And I think at one point he did as many as like six or seven. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. How do, how does that even work? You just hop from one to the next studio, like it's yeah. Just well, a lot of them stuff. were like the B budget ones, you know. Yeah. And he just kept working. Like season of the witch. Oh boy, there you go. That movie's oh, terrible. Terrible. <laughs> that so Indianapolis bad. movie was bad too. Uh, USS Indianapolis one. or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. So was the World Trade Center one. I couldn't stand that. I didn't see that one. I didn't. I don't like. I didn't watch any nine eleven movies. I don't like that they're. I'm not, I'm not politicizing it, that they're turning it into entertainment. And I get it. You want to try to show a story for these heroes, but it just I think the, the, the wound was too fresh, in my opinion. So I was not a huge fan of those. Yeah. I mean, like I was like, well, I feel like I lived it. You know, yeah. I remember that day and I'll never forget it. That that's that was my Kennedy assassination, you know? Oh, yeah. And totally. So I'll, I'll never forget it. I know what I was doing. I know what I ate. I know what I did that day. I know who I talked to that day. I remember watching just the news for hours and hours and hours and how crazy it was. And so I didn't need to watch a movie. I got all the information I needed from all the horror stories and, and eyewitness accounts and, right. and what have you. Yeah, exactly. Brutal, brutal, so, brutal, brutal. What about you? What's your letter grade? Oh, um, so, <laughs> so I mean, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I enjoy this movie. I think it's pretty ridiculous, though, but I'm more on like the C plus kind of ouch crowd. Yeah, I mean, that's it's still passing. Did you even watch the movie Justice? <laughs> <laughs> if Connor went to medical school, it'd still pass and still be a doctor. Greg um, actually aces MCATs, dad. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a it's a C plus for me. I do think that it's it's fun and it has some interesting moments. Uh, and I like the music and, and some of the action sequences. But, uh, you know, I put The Rock and, and uh, Gone in 60 Seconds over this movie any day of the week. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, you know, any of those are good choices, though, just like we were talking about. You're a car guy, so you like cars a lot. And so Gone in 60 yeah. Seconds makes sense. Tracy Chapman style. Yeah, exactly. 
that's really sad <laughs> slave to the bottle that's the way it is <laughs> yeah. um but i i just i really love this movie and it just really hits for me it's so stupid yeah like i said i feel like it rotates from stars to tnt to amc plus to <laughs> to netflix to hbo like i feel like it's going to be streaming for the, until it dies until the end of time this will be the only movie streaming <laughs> right this and the shawshank redemption so which are two very similar movies. Yeah. They're both about prison. <laughs> it's about a white guy who has a black best friend. See, see the similarities. They both won the Academy Award for best movie ever made. <laughs> I think, um, I think uh, Rachel Ticketon was also in Turbulence, which is also a plain movie. Which That's might a have Ray Liotta. Same. Ray Liotta's in that movie too. He's yeah, a bad he guy in that. I know that was really sad too. That was a bummer. I loved Ray Liotta. Yeah, Good I feel my mom. Goodfellas is. Un- unreal and it's it's i've just appreciated that movie more and more actually since doing this podcast i've just appreciated that movie more and more um but it's so goddamn good goodfellas? So that's, uh, yeah i love goodfellas and we've not done that on this show we haven't we've done casino we've done all three godfathers including the third one your favorite and the irishman um, and the irishman uh gangster films are fun i really really enjoy them and i think yeah i just I'm still my life changed by by rewatching The Godfather incredibly. I I love The Godfather too. I think that movie is perfection in its finest. Do you like Godfather 2 more than Shawshank Redemption? Shit. Why are you making me say this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um as of right now I will say yes, but it's because it's been a minute since I've seen Shawshank. But uh, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like IMDb right now, though. I feel like I just went on to IMDb and looked at the top 100 list. That's what I'm naming. But man, what if those you replace Al Pacino with Andy Dick? <laughs> and she's got a great ass. <laughs> I knew it was you. It's like I knew it was you.com. Um, yeah, that wouldn't really work for me. That wouldn't jive. So sure. How do you say banana daiquiri? <laughs> banana daiquiri. Banana daiquiri. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. I wasn't upset because this is the business we're in. This is the business we've chosen. We've chosen. Yeah. But Hyman Roth. There we go. A shirtless Hyman Roth. All the, all the, what do you call it? Taco meat hanging out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's there on display. Needs to be changed out. It's been under a heat lamp too long. <laughs> it's way too much. It's past. It's past the six-hour danger zone. Got to, got to replace it and reduce it for fifty percent off. Yeah, that uh, that Hyman Roth is well done, man. That guy, his skin was aged. <laughs> it definitely was. Anyway. Uh, Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. I mean, soon we'll probably start calling this the Nicolas Cage Appreciation Podcast. All right. <laughs> I know, right? Remember to follow us on Twitter at dbcrazypod, at edgyarmo, or at, at freakincage.com, and at zachdale60, <laughs> or you can share your thoughts with us and we will discuss them on our show. Heck, you can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Just please remember to try to make sure that it is streaming. Uh, so we had a request for True Lies, which I would love to do with our friend Steve, but that is not streaming here in the U.S. right now. I'm sure it will be soon enough, though. Um, and then, you know, make can sure you... Can you press the button for the top look? <laughs> <laughs> a snow cone maker? <laughs> make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny for some reason. But, um, yeah, and then additionally, we're on every major podcast app that's out there. So with that being said, thank you for listening, and please don't be crazy. Thank you so much.